And Laura, tell us, what do you eat for breakfast most days? I usually have a green smoothie, or sometimes I'll do like a birch or muesli, like an overnight oats kind of thing. What's your favorite go-to snack? I love like medjool dates. I'll take the pit out and I put like a smear of peanut butter in there. And like sometimes I'll put chocolate chips in that. What's your favorite takeout food? Pizza, 100% pizza. (laughs) Excluding spices and oils, what are your top three pantry ingredients? Really good quality flours and like whole grains, like as fresh as possible. Gosh, like vinegars, like a variety of vinegars, because I use that for, was that one of the excluded ones? I don't know. Vinegar is a big No, one. vinegar's in, and actually that's one of my favorites too. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I have like, I don't know, six or seven vinegars, and I lean on them a lot. And then number three, probably just like good quality canned tomatoes, because I can make anything out of that. Do you have any kitchen gadgets you just can't live without? Sounds like very high tone, but my Vitamix. Like I would never, I would not, you'd pry it out of my cold, dead hand. <laughs> Hey, Tedra. Hey, Jay. So today, our chat is with Laura Wright from The First Mess. Laura's love of food and cooking developed naturally over time and increased during her early jobs working in restaurants. The First Mess blog and cookbook feature plant-based and vegan recipes packed with flavor. She has an emphasis on eating seasonally and sharing wholesome meals. Living simply, cooking, and staying connected to the earth are at the heart of fine living for Laura. As she says, a meal is nothing to take for granted, and we completely agree and realize that oftentimes that is the case. In this conversation, Laura tells the story of growing up with an agricultural family and the influence that that had in her life. We cover her early career and transition to blogging. She tells the story of how she decided to commit to a plant-based diet, and we talk about many of her delicious recipes. And you guys, there's a bunch of them. And of course, we had to ask about her trip to the Goop headquarters, where she prepared one of her recipes for Goop.com. It's a great episode, so listen in and get to know Laura. A quick reminder, if you're listening on the go, don't forget to check out our show notes for each of the episodes. They're on our website, easy to find. You'll get all the answers to the questions we asked during the episode. You're listening to We Get to Know Podcast, and for years, we've all been following some of the most inspiring creatives, innovators, social media influencers, and bloggers. Simply put, we get inspired. The next best thing to following our favorite people is hearing their stories straight from them. So listen in as we get to know Laura. Hi, Laura. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, so I always like to just touch on a few quick start answers. So you talked about pizza being your favorite takeout. I'm curious, like, how do you handle that being plant-based? I, oh my God, it's the most high maintenance thing because like there is a place in town that does vegan pizza for takeout, but like I'm not a vegan cheese fan, first of all. Like I don't like it. Right. And they offer that, but they also have a good variety of veggies. So a couple of times I've tried to order like a vegan pizza from them, no cheese, and it always like my man will go pick it up and he won't open it and check it, right? And we'll get home and be like, oh, it has cheese on it. And I can't. Oh, what a bummer. So now we've gone back actually to our old pizza place. It's an old favorite of my man's actually. But anyway, every time we order, I'm just like, can you make me a vegan pizza? I know you don't have vegan cheese because it's like very old school. Of course, they don't have vegan cheese at this place. I'm like, can you just put like X, Y, Z veggies on it on red sauce? That's it. And they're like, yes, we know you're the vegan that calls every (laughs) Sunday. Like we will make it. So I always double check and they always get it right. And then when it comes home, I transfer it to a baking sheet 
And I put like, I make this like garlicky cashew cream kind of with like uh, capers and nutritional yeast and lots of salt and lemon. And I kind of drizzle that on. And then I make this like cashew based quote unquote Parmesan sprinkle that I also put on. And then I usually have basil in my garden or something. I put that on and I just jam it under the broiler for like a minute and then I eat my pizza. So it's like the most high maintenance, very diva takeout situation, but I really love it. I mean, it sounds delicious. I'm sitting here listening. My mouth keeps getting wider because I'm like, that sounds fantastic. Yeah. I actually saw your garlic dip like that you were referring to, the cashew. I watched your stories that you have highlights of that, and it does look delicious. It's probably like just a nice topper for things, right? I put it on so many things like it's just like this is kind of bland like let's go in with the sauce like it's very applicable for a lot of things that we're eating and then you talked about getting fresh flour so i'm curious like how is if i'm going to the store how do i know if it's fresh so i actually get mine from this canadian producer called flourist i'm in ontario they're based on the west coast but they like it's a female owned organization and they have connections to these like really great family farmers of wheat and chickpeas and farro and lentils and all kinds of these great like storage crops. And just the freshness is like unparalleled. Like they get the wheat berries, they have a mill at their facility, they freshly mill the flour. And then they put it in this beautiful paper bag. It's all paper, super sustainable. Oh, I want to see a photo of this. It's Yeah, definitely go to Flourist, like look them up. And they're on Instagram as I think just Flourist. And I mean, they're good. Their flour is incredible because like I love making bread. I love like no need bread. And incorporating their flour has been just such a game changer for me. It's just got so much flour or so much flour. It's got so much flavor and like... I don't know. I just feel better eating it. Like I love working with it. Oh man, what an amazing resource. I wonder if we have anything like that in the States. I mean, that's the big complaint about the States is like our flour. It's just junk at this point. I mean, it's disappointing. Anyway, that sounds interesting. I wonder if they ship. Oh, they definitely ship to the US. And like you might even have local like access to a local miller or something like that. Yeah, I'm going to check that out. It's just something about like the idea of it being fresh and not sitting in a bag on a shelf for a year <laughs> sounds nice. Yeah, that's the thing. Because in my world, everyone is so like jacked up on like fresh seasonal vegetables, fruit, that kind of thing. Like definitely extending that philosophy to your pantry staples has been great for us. So where did all this passion like for getting fresh ingredients, where did this come from in your life? I just like grew up with it. Like my dad had a local produce business that he had taken over from his dad. Like it had been in the family for 50 years and they were just like a local go-to for fresh produce outside of the farmer's market. Although like I will say in my region, the farmer's market is a little like eh up until recently, but like my dad's store was this super reliable source for like all the super fresh seasonal goods. So I just kind of grew up knowing that like strawberries would be in season in June. And like at the end of summer, we get a lot of good tomatoes. Like I just knew about seasonality and like getting the best flavor out of a vegetable or whatever. Like you just had to look to a certain time of year. That's interesting. That's actually one of the questions I've written down for you is like, I mean, I always hear about people cooking seasonally and that it's good to do for the environment and buy local. And I'm always wondering, like, I don't know, when is the season for things? Like, I've, And people are like, oh, strawberries are so good right now. And I've heard that like a million times, or this is the time to have tomatoes. And I always think, 
Well, I don't remember when that was, you know, so I have no idea like, what the seasons are. And because we can ship anything in from year round, it's hard to know. So like, how would I know? Like, what would be a good way to like tell like a layman? Like, this is how you know to buy seasonal and when. Right. So I would say like, if you have a good farmer's market in your area, like definitely go to that when they have it, what the day of the week they have it. Cause then you'll just see firsthand what's available. And also like, I know in the province where I live in Ontario, you can go onto, there's a website called Foodland Ontario. It's run by the government. And they have like just a whole chart that tells you what is in season and when. And I'm sure in the United States, like broken down by state through their official governmental website, you might be able to find a resource like this. Okay, so let's back up a little bit and get a little bit of your background. Do you mentioning Ontario? Like, tell us where did you grow up, and um, is that where you still live now? Yeah, I grew up in the Niagara region of Ontario, so like near Niagara Falls, which I think most people know. Mm -hmm. I grew up here, and then I lived in Toronto, which is about an hour and a half from the Niagara region. I lived in Toronto for a while, and then I eventually just came back here. Like I had started dating my partner, and he was from the Niagara area. And yeah, I kind of like wrapped up a certain job period of my life in Toronto and just decided to come back to the area. Is there anyone in your family? Do you have siblings? I have an older brother. Is there anyone, I guess, him or you that plans on taking on this family business from your dad? My dad actually retired like two years ago. Oh, they okay. retired and sold the business. And yeah, like we did not really have an interest in going on with it because we both kind of have our own thing going on. And like yeah. our family was super understanding of it. Like it's just very like... I think they were understanding from this point that like our kids have their own skill set and like that's what makes them happy and like, mm -hmm. we just want you to be happy. You know what I mean? There was never like a guilt thing involved. There's no pressure of like, well, this has been going on for 250 years in our family. So do you want to just kill it or do you want to take it over? <laughs> None of that, huh? <laughs> Did I say 250? I meant 50. <laughs> no, no, I was exaggerating. I threw the 250 on there. Yeah, no, you said 50. <laughs> No, there was never any guilt. Like definitely when we were teens, it was just like, there was definitely a pressure to like be working and like helping. But it was like once- I love that though. Yeah. And I did too. Like I started working when I was quite young, actually, like just getting like, you know, handfuls of cash under the table or whatever. But like, <laughs> yeah, which is fine, whatever. Like I was there willingly. It's like- in that time period before we were going to university or whatever, even when we came back from university for the summer, it was just like, you're going to work at the store. <laughs> like it was, there was that kind of commitment then. But like, I don't know, as we both got older and like had our own things going on, it was kind of just like, this has reached its logical conclusion. I mean, I can imagine as a teenager, like being not forced, but like being asked to work in your parents' shop or business is probably a little bit of a pain and cramped your style. But I wonder like looking back if it just seems like nostalgia for you or nostalgic. It was really formative. Like I always tried really hard at school. I was a real try hard with my grades. And like at the time I would be like, well, I have to go to work because my dad needs someone to do the cash on Thursday afternoons. So like when I'm done school, I got to go. And like, of course I'm getting paid for it. But like, mm -hmm. it was very much a sense of like, I just got to do it. It was never like a, oh, dad, like why? It was never like that. Like some mornings I would be like very tired, like on a weekend because like, I know my friends would be partying all night and just ha like being teenagers. I'd be like, well, I got to get up at five because 
yeah. I got to open the cash or I got to help with whatever. Like it was, I don't know. I, I never got like overly angsty about it. It was just like something you had to do. And plus like my grandmother was working there and like she was like just advancing in her age and still working five days a week. So the morale was kind of like, well, if she's doing it, I better right. show up and give a hundred percent. And like you wanted to as well. I wasn't just like, I got to impress my grandma. Like it was, I don't know. It just kind of instilled that love for work and like just that need for kind of a sense of contribution, I think. Well, and understanding that like you put in these hours, you get this money and then you have money to buy, you know, little trinkets for yourself or something at that age. Because a lot of people, I mean, a lot of young kids, they just, they don't work these days as much. I feel like the parents just like give them money or whatever, which is fine. Everyone to each their own. But I love the idea of instilling a work ethic in your children, like at a young age. It just probably pays dividends the rest of their life, you know? I think it really did because like now, like I work from home and like it can be hard to have a structure when you're doing that. Like I think it's Mm -hmm. not for everyone. And for me, it's coming from that background of how my family operated their business, but also like just working in restaurants after that and everything. Like I just... I don't know. I really structure my time so effectively. And I'm like, even today, I'm still impressed that I can still do this. (laughs) Yeah, it takes a lot of self-motivation to like work from home and keep it going for sure. So there's no one to delegate anything to like you. It's just you. It's just me. Yeah. Like, honestly, I don't know. I use this thing called the productivity planner, which has like changed my life, my like working. Oh, wow. It's awesome. The company's called Intelligent Change and they have a product called the Productivity Planner and they also have the five-minute journal, which I also really like. But the Productivity Planner has like a specific system in place to like realistically approach your to-do list. Like it like considers time and priority and it just sets up this like very good structure for somebody who is mostly reliant on themselves for direction. Oh, that's interesting. I'll check that out. Hey guys, we're going to pause for a minute to tell you about one of our partners. Anyone interested in 30% off the best vitamins? We know health and nutrition is important to everyone. One thing that goes hand in hand with our health is supplemental care. We've partnered with Dr. C Vitamins to offer you a 30% discount off their premium pharmaceutical grade and medically endorsed line of supplements. All vitamins are not created equal. In fact, there is no FDA oversight for supplements. Unlike over-the-counter vitamins, Dr. C supplements are manufactured without commonly found synthetic ingredients. I mean, you guys, who wants synthetics going into our bodies? They're also non-GMO and gluten-free. Their standards are so high, these vitamins are actually manufactured just like a prescription drug would be in an FDA-registered facility. Most vitamins do not subject themselves to this level of oversight. People are always asking if we take these personally, and we do. I take the D3K2 combo to support bone health, memory, mood, and immune support, and their collagen biotin that supports strong hair, nails, and skin. And then when I'm having those nights where I'm having a hard time falling asleep and unwinding, I take the melatonin B6 combo, and it really helps me gently fall asleep naturally. So give them a try, you guys. Go to drccares.com, use our code WEGETTONOW, and save 30% on your next order. Now enjoy the rest of the interview. Okay, so you've mentioned a couple times my man. So let's talk about him for a little bit. How did you guys meet? What's his name? 
His name is Mark, and we met through a mutual, like, very, very good friend. Our friend and his partner, like, we're still such good friends with. We hang out with them all the time. But yeah, like, we have been kind of friends, like, a little bit, like, acquaintances. And then, like, one summer, we just started dating. So, yeah. (laughs) How long have y'all been dating? Uh, I was trying to figure that out the other day. I think it's, like, eight years. Eight years? That's a long term. Seven or eight years. Yeah. Like, he's, like, long term romantic. Yeah. Like you're doing full on life together at that point, right? Full taxes together. He's my man. (laughs) Yeah. That's cool. So you mentioned that you were in Toronto. What were you doing there for a while? I had gone to the University of Toronto and then I graduated. And then I actually came back to the Niagara region, like to home for a bit. But then I went back to study culinary management. It was like a nutritionally focused culinary management program at George Brown College. And I went back for that because like I had graduated university and I was just like, what am I doing? Like, I don't. What did you major in? Environmental ethics and philosophy. So like the most useless degree of all time. (laughs) Well, what were you thinking like while you were in school? What were you thinking like would maybe be some good career options? Like, did you have any visions of what you might do? When I came out of University of Toronto, I was like, maybe I'll just stay in school. I'll try and get a master's or like, maybe I'll work for the government. Like I saw myself maybe working for like Environment Canada or something like doing like a pushing uh-huh. kind of job. But then like while I was at U of T, I was like working at restaurants again. And then when I like came home after I graduated U of T, I was like working in restaurants again. And I was just like, there is a recurring theme. Like I keep being drawn back to this just because it was the kind of work that I enjoyed. Like mm-hmm. I like being around people. I like being around food. I liked learning about food. I liked like the super fast paced environment. And I was like, I don't think I should pursue anything that could even remotely be related to my degree. I'm just going to go back and go to cooking school. Like I'm just going to learn that and see what happens there. Because like at the time or before that I had turned vegan. Like I changed my life, totally vegan. And this is when I started to want to cook a lot more just because, I don't know, I was just trying to learn about new things to make, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I don't know. It just seemed like there was a lot of possibilities for me if I did this like kind of nutritionally considered culinary program. Like they kind of sold the program as like, Canada has an increasing aging population. If you take this course, you'll definitely be top of list for hires at all of these retirement homes. <laughs> that is so funny. You know, I was like, if I can't find my dream job after this, I can always go cook at an old folks home and make like purees. <laughs> I, was just- I mean, how many chefs or cooks or whoever are walking around Canada thinking, well, I always have this to fall back on. <laughs> worst come to worst. It's very lucrative. Like the retirement home industry for like people top here because we have this aging population that's just growing and growing. Like people are living older and older in Canada. So retirement homes are seriously lucrative. Oh, that's fascinating. It's weird, I know. What led to your decision to go vegan? It's like kind of an interesting story, actually. Initially, I was, this was like a guy I used to date. I went to his family's, Thanksgiving celebration. And at the time I had been this like flip flopping vegetarian, like a flexitarian, you know what I'm saying? And I go to the vegetarian dinner or not the, sorry, it wasn't. I go to Thanksgiving dinner and 
I sit down at the table and everybody's there. It's like, it's the wife's family, it's the husband's family, it's a couple friends, me. And we're sitting at the table and I just look around the table and there's like this big vat of butternut squash soup. There's these like cornbread muffins. There's a really nice wild rice stuffing, all these different vegetables. There was like roasted carrots and there was a beautiful salad and all kinds of stuff. And the turkey, which is you know obviously the centerpiece of Thanksgiving, it was kind of like hiding away in the kitchen, like away from the dining room. And I was like, this configuration is strange. Like I noticed right away, I was like, this is really weird. So I fill my plate with all vegetable stuff. I didn't even bother to go in and get turkey because like I, like I said, I was kind of like flip-flopping on vegetarian. Like sometimes in a family situation, I'd be like, oh, screw it. I'll just have the turkey to like make my mother happy or something. <laughs> but anyway, so I fill my plate with the vegetables and, you know, we're all going around the table saying what we're grateful for and it's so nice. I like look down at my plate and I'm just so moved in a weird way, I'm just like, I could eat like this all the time. Like it was like mostly vegan, everything the cook had prepared. I was just so, I don't know, it felt like something was like calling to me. It was just like, this is how I should eat all the time. Like, and after I ate the plate, I felt amazing. And I found out after this dinner that the cook of the whole thing, her and her husband had been on this trip to the East coast of Canada, like a couple months ago. And they had had this distinct privilege of seeing a moose and her young in the wild. And it was like, the experience was, it like shook this woman to the core. Like it was just so moving for her. And then later on at like a routine kind of lunch stop on this trip, she saw moose burgers on the menu mm. and she felt like nauseous. Okay. Cause she had witnessed this incredible moment. And then she saw that and she was like, I cannot participate in this. Like I just can't. So a couple months later, she's like still eating predominantly vegan food, prepares a predominantly vegan feast for her family and friends. And there's just so much intention, I think, behind that. She was just really like showing her people this way of life and how it had positively impacted her. And I think I just felt that. Like when I ate it, I was just like, this is amazing. This is how I want to eat all the time. I just had like a really good feeling of just this positive changing energy after eating it. And then after that meal, I was just like, I want to keep going with this. Like I just, I really feel good doing this. So I did. Interesting. It's a weird story. That's a really interesting story. Yeah. It's just, it's, I'm wondering when you were sitting there, were you expressing that to anyone or was this sort of internal thoughts happening? This is totally internal, but like afterwards to my boyfriend at the time, I was like, wow, like this meal is so good. Like, I think I'm going to go vegan. He was like, oh, are you kidding me? <laughs> but all right, whatever. It's totally fine because like the woman who had prepared the meal was like, his stepmother who was already cooking a lot of like vegan stuff in the house. So now I think his line of thought was like, now we got to eat vegan when I go out too. <laughs> like, but yeah, it was kind of funny. So let's talk a little bit about your blog. I'm curious. So you decided to go in the culinary world. What did that initially look like? I mean, what were you, I mean, you were working in a restaurant. When did it sort of change from that to maybe, you know, the blog and like, how are you making a living in the beginning? So I had been working in a bunch of different restaurants after I graduated. It was great. And then I finally kind of left Toronto. I just like had enough. It was just not feeling like a city lifestyle at this point. So I moved back home and I start working at this new restaurant in our area. And it's a great restaurant. Like they're making everything from scratch and they're 
you know, it's a nice environment, whatever, but they were not busy. And like, I kept getting called off of shifts all the time. And I was like, I need to find a new job. Like, this is just not going well. So in the meantime, while I was looking for a new job, a friend of mine had suggested, and she had been suggesting this for a while. She was like, why don't you just start like a food blog? Like people are doing this online. Like, I know that you know a lot about cooking. Like you could just share that with a bunch of people. I know you like photography, et cetera. She was like, just put it online. Like a lot of people are doing this. And I was like, okay, fine. I'll try it. So I did try it. And like, I did not make money doing this for a while. And like also for the first, I don't know how long I've had my blog, like eight years at this point, the first like almost four or five, like I didn't make any money because I was up until a couple years ago, I was still like working in a restaurant. Were you doing the blog thinking it could be a career or were you doing it just thinking like, okay, I'm just, I'm sharing my recipes. Well, yeah, for fun, I guess. Like I was just sharing on that platform as like a creative outlet and like, you know, it just seemed to like slowly build this little community around it, which I enjoyed, like just talking about plant-based food with people. And I don't know, I like that aspect so much. And then like I had been doing that for a while. And then eventually like a girl I'd gone to college with became some sort of editor at this like healthier food magazine. And she was like, you know, sometimes we're looking for a photographer like remotely, like, would you be interested in that? And so I did that for a bit and also kept working in a restaurant. So I was doing like all these different things. And then eventually, like the working in the restaurant thing kind of died down. But like I, before that did, I had started working on my cookbook. I was basically done. I had handed in my manuscript. And then that was when I was like, this is the blog, Instagram, everything. This is like its own money-making enterprise. I feel confident enough in my earnings from all of this to finally walk away from working in restaurants. And like, I know that's like, the point that I decided to stop like working a job that I showed up for, whatever, whatever, is probably way later than like most bloggers who decided to mm-hmm. quit, like whatever. Mm-hmm. But I was just so like hung up on this idea of financial security. I was like, I need to yeah. X amount before I go straight to like only being self-employed because it would be irresponsible to like, I was just really weighing myself down with these concerns. But like, I think I waited probably longer than most to just go totally sole proprietor. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause I think, I mean, it's smart. Number one. I mean, it's risky to like do it yourself. And I mean, obviously you have a three or four year buildup, you know, to get to that point to where you feel like, okay, this is actually reliable coming from these sources. And yeah, I, I don't know. That's interesting to me to think like, you're working in the regular food industry and you're making recipes and continuing your blog on the side. And then all of a sudden you have this cookbook deal and it's like all coming together. And like, before you know it, like this is what you do full time. It's like, it's all transitioned to where you're at now. It's kind of, I don't know. It's just interesting. There was like a one year time period where like things were quite frantic. Like just cause I was still working like three or four nights a week at the restaurant and I would still take freelance photography jobs and I also maintained my website and I also was working on an entire cookbook myself and we were moving into and renovating our curtain, like our first house together, Mark and I. So it was like kind of wild, but at the end of it, when I like finally handed my like notice for my actual restaurant job and I had also stopped doing freelance work for magazines, I was like, wow, like that was really crazy. 
But now I have this like calm reassurance that I can totally rest on all of this work and keep earning. Like it was a wild period of time, but like it really, I don't know. It just kept me going, I guess. Like the frantic pace of that work has like sustained me, I think. How did the cookbook come about? Well, I'd been approached about a cookbook actually quite early in the game. Like I felt like I'd only been blogging for like two or three years when I was first approached. And like that entered my realm of possibility. I was like, this is interesting. Like maybe I could work towards an idea for something like this. And then I think around like 2014, so like five years ago, my editor for my book emailed me and she was an editor at Penguin Canada. Their office is in Toronto, so close to me. And she was like, you know, I've been watching your work. I think it's great. Like, would you consider doing a cookbook? I've worked with these authors. If you want to check out their work. I was like, yeah, that's interesting. So I met with her and we just talked about, you know, what this would look like. And then uh, she introduced me to my literary agent. And then, I don't know, six months later, I had basically a book deal with like that editor and a U.S. publisher. That's so interesting. I mean, I always find it fascinating when we're talking to guests and they're producing these cookbooks. I mean, I grew up, I'm a cookbook junkie. I love them so much. And I grew up like loving to go to like Barnes and Noble, you know, and some of these other big shops. And just, I would spend hours like in the cookbook section and just looking at all the cookbooks. And I always think like, it's amazing to me that someone is just, they've created this content. You've built this website. You have all this knowledge to cook. And obviously you have a point of view with the vegan and plant-based I guess what I'm trying to say is like, it's just amazing to me that like you can produce and make this beautiful cookbook that you made, The First Mess. It's like, I think it's fascinating that you don't have to be, I guess I grew up thinking that everyone who made cookbooks had to be some big fancy chef. You know, it's just amazing to me, like talking to people like you or even Terry Turner from No Crumbs Left, like different people who we've spoken to that have cookbooks that you now can find on the shelves. I went with my mom to the Amazon bookstore that we have here in Austin not that long ago. And I could pick out like five people that we had talked to on the podcast, their cookbooks off the shelves. And I just think it's just an incredible thing that's happening. You know, it's like you can do these things right from your living room. It's incredible. Well, that's the internet. Like, you know what I mean? It's a tool. Yeah. It teach you everything like on how to make a book or like how to get your content noticed by a certain person in whatever publishing house, like you can learn everything on the internet. And like, yeah, one time cookbooks were mostly authored by restaurant chefs or like food magazine editors, like that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But I think when blogs like really broke through, there was this celebration and a re-recognition of like, home cooking, like home mm-hmm. cooks were just so relatable for people. It's just like, maybe my method isn't totally by the book. Maybe it isn't the most efficient way to do something, but it's within a home cook skill set. And I know that because like, I don't call myself a chef, even though I've worked in restaurants, like I am an experienced home cook. And I think mm-hmm. people like me, authors like me, bloggers who have wrote a book or whatever, they just approach it from that lens. Like, I don't have a super state-of-the-art kitchen. I don't have a restaurant kitchen. Like, what I have, I mean, maybe aside from Vitamix and a few other things, like, I have what most people are working with. And I think I just approach a recipe from that angle. And maybe that's what cuts through to people. Isn't it interesting to think about, like, the generation of people who are bloggers right now? And 
it's an interesting thing about like their mothers who maybe instilled a lot of this love of cooking or, you know, sometimes yes. And sometimes no, but like the generation before, like that wasn't an opportunity for them. It really wasn't possible. Like, so because it just wasn't there, the infrastructure wasn't there to create your WordPress blog or whatever it is you use. I always think it's fascinating to think like, gosh, one generation ago, like our mothers or our grandmothers, like what would their blogs have looked like? What would they have, you know what I mean? It's just kind of interesting to think that it's just, it's really a new industry. When you think about what the future will be, it's just, it really is like, it's just in its infancy still. It's kind of fascinating. I know it just started. And I feel like, I don't know, maybe I just like, am in too many like groups of blogger chats. It's, yeah. It feels very like doomsday. Like it's just like, <laughs> Instagram is ruining my business. Like nobody's going to be blogging in two years or whatever. But like, I don't know. I feel like it's still going to be around for a while because it's still so new. Everyone I know who is an enthusiastic cook, like gets their recipes from the internet first. They're not going to quit cooking. None of us are going to quit cooking. That's why it is a survivable industry because we all are going to be cooking for our families or for ourselves or for our spouses or for our children. We're all going to be doing it and we want the resources. So it's going to come from somewhere. You know what I mean? It's like it used to always be cookbooks or magazines. Now it's like heavy on the blog world. And like, even if it shifts a little bit, the industry, we're still going to be wanting this information. So there's, it's going to be always around in my opinion. Yeah. Like that's why cookbook sales, despite dropping book sales as a general category, cookbook sales are still good. Oh, that's interesting. So your cookbook, I noticed, has two covers, one for the U.S. and one for Canada. Why is that? Why do they do that? I truthfully don't know. Like when they presented it to me, like when the U.S. publisher had selected a cover, I was like, that is so beautiful. I love that. Yes. And I just assumed that Canada would go with it too, but they didn't. Like a week later, I got an email saying like, here's what we're going with. I was like, that's interesting. It is interesting. So it's just two different publishers have with two points of view, I guess. Yeah. Like ultimately, you don't really have a lot of say unless you're like I think unless you're someone like Ina Garten or something you know what I mean but like I think the Canadian one was chosen with the idea that it's predominantly cold here so they wanted to go with like kind of a hearty cozy feeling kind of thing on the cover whereas the mm-hmm. US one is like kind of I don't know it's like it's little baby cuttings of a greens rainbow. like it's a little more yeah. cool, I guess I don't know it's interesting to like to think about the strategy there it's true because the U.S. one does feel like earthy and like it's got those little like micro greens or baby greens or something and then the Canada one it is like those nice big dishes with like vegetables root vegetables in there like all looking baked and delicious so yeah it's fascinating yeah it's strange but it's interesting yeah Okay. So let's talk about your food a little bit. I'm curious, like, what is, do you have like a technique for recipe development? Are you just sort of making things like, you know, throwing things together and poof, there you go. Like what's your process like? It's a real mix. Like I, sometimes I just get inspired in very weird ways. Like sometimes I'll like see a movie that I like and like, you know, there's not even like food in it, but I'll like, after seeing the movie, I'll be like, I want to have like rosé wine and asparagus and a pasta. (laughs) Like I'll just think of something really random like that. But for me, it just starts as like an idea and then I'll try it in a really casual way, like for dinner for Mark and I. And then if that's good and I feel like if I refine it, it'll be better, then I just start refining it. Like it's always like I have an idea. Now I go backwards and think about how I make the different components to lead to the finished product. 
and then I just refine it. Like, it's not like, I'm not a big, like, well, I had this in a restaurant and it was great. So I'm going to totally do the same thing at home. It's not really Uh like that for me. Like sometimes I'll have like something where I want to try like a component of it or, but use it in a different way. Is Mark a vegan too? Oh no. He's like a total omnivore. Right now he's on this thing where he's like not eating added sugar at all. He'll have like fruit or something like that, but he won't have like any added maple syrup or anything like that. So it's like kind of killing him and it's kind of killing me because like I I can't have like vegan ice cream in the house even because like for me to eat it in front of him is like kind of cruel because he's just really trying to like give it up because we both have kind of a sweet tooth. So like ultimately it's good for both of us. But yeah, to answer your question, he is not vegan, but he eats every single thing I make. He's not picky. Yeah, I bet. He loves everything. It's just he's kind of like iffy on mushrooms, but even that he'll eat if I cook it because he usually likes it when I cook it. Okay, so you had a couple recipes that I sort of was like, "Mm, I want to try this. My mom just went vegan maybe like a month ago. It's just – and it's like the most – unlikely person you would ever imagine to go vegan she just poof <laughs> i mean she watched the movie oh gosh what was the movie conspiracy no what the health oh gosh okay she watched what the health there's a lot of conflicting information about that movie out there but it's cool i think it's great that she decided to go vegan yeah there is because i talked to my doctor about it just like a couple weeks ago and i was telling her about my mom and she was like she sort of said like well that maybe i don't know but what ended up happening though is that she watched basically like how the meat was treated and that was enough like regardless of the rest of the information in that movie like you just seeing like how it was treated and yeah i called her i go what do you think of the movie she's like i'm a vegan i was like what So we've been looking for more vegan recipes for her. And I saw a couple on your website that I'm going to pass over to her immediately. But one was your hearty mushroom and beet bolognese. Oh, yeah. That looks so delicious. I was... I'm not like tuning my own horn. It is the best thing I have ever made. It is so good. It's unbelievable. Like my mushroom despising boyfriend is just like, when are you making that again? Like he really loves it. It's so good. I love mushrooms too. And I also love, I'm a real sucker for like white bean dips and you have this creamy kale pesto white bean dip. I mean, just like combining, like, cause I also love pesto. Like I've never even thought to combine those, but that looks so delicious. It was yummy. And like, we were putting on like grilled veggie sandwiches and stuff like that. Like not just dipping it. It's very versatile. And even like somebody Instagram messaged me that they made that dip And then they kind of thinned it out with a bit of like vegetable stock and some lemon and turned it into like a pasta sauce. Oh, yum. So good, right? That's interesting. Like when you think like pesto, yes. You think white bean dip on pasta. But yeah, I think I could get into that. I mean, white beans are just, I know it's like a simple flavor, but so good. I love them. Yeah, they're so good. And then there's one more I wrote down. Your crispy sesame cauliflower. Right. I just feel like for anyone who is plant-based or vegan just to have like that bite of something where you feel like this is like a real like I don't know like a substantial like bowl of like food that is crunchy or crispy and Asian inspired it looks just looks so good I like make versions of that all the time like I'll do it with buffalo sauce I'll do it with like barbecue sauce like I get the Tessa Mays barbecue sauce it's sweetened with dates because again my man is not having sugar but yeah like it's just so good and like it's such a simple technique but like I could eat an entire head of cauliflower prepared that way like it's just mm. and I love just like putting a little 
chunks like on a salad or something. It's so good. Yum. Okay, so Jade's going to hop in here in just a minute to do our Ask Everyone questions. Before she does, I noticed that you got a recipe published on goop.com. Yes. I happen to be a really big goop slash Gwyneth fan. I I went there. I went to goop headquarters. Well, that's, I know that. And that is why I wrote this down. I was like, I have to ask her about this. So what was that like? So did they like just approach you saying, Hey, we'd love you to come and cook a recipe in our kitchen or what? It was all my friend, Jessica Mornan, like handled it. Like Jess and I had cookbooks that came out around the same time. And we were like, we should do stuff together in LA. Like we should do some events together. So we're like, okay, why not? So anyway, we booked these couple events and she's like, I'm going to reach out. Like I have this contact at Goop and I'll just see if like, you know, we can drop by. And I was like, that would be crazy, but okay. So she reached out to them, like their food editor and their food editor was like, yeah, why don't you come by and like, you can each make a recipe from your book and like, we'll just put it on our Instagram stories or something. And like, it was super casual for them. But when Jess told me what they wanted to do, I was like, we're going to go to the Google <laughs> corner. Like, are you- I mean, like just to step in their office and just look around, like what's the style like in here and what's the kitchen look like? And I just would have gone bananas. Oh man. Like the kitchen is beautiful. I have like several posts down my Instagram. I have a picture of the kitchen. It's beautiful. It's like open shelving, very like peaceful, calming gray tile, all the gear, all the beautiful props. And then they just have these like banks of co-working kind of desks and like these beautiful meeting rooms with these like giant brass light fixtures from like restoration hardware. Like it's just, and it's like, there's many different areas. Like GP's actual office is like kind of tucked away from the major group area. I did not see her while I was there, which was whatever. I I was not expecting it. Right. I wouldn't have expected it either, but just being in the presence of like the place down it was such a cool working space and like everyone there was so nice and like it was such a positive and great experience actually. And like when we went there, my partner came with me to LA and like he dropped Jessica and I off at the office and he was like, have a good time. I'm going to go get in and out burger. (laughs) (laughs) Enjoy. Like, yeah, it was more experience. Okay. Yeah. I just couldn't end my session with you without at least covering that because I thought, oh, that must've been really thrilling and exciting. Okay. Jade, welcome to the conversation. Yeah. I'm just sitting over here like, what? You went to the goop kitchen? Stop it. Oh my gosh. So cool. I had a quick question before we get into the ask everyone stuff. I'm looking at one of the pictures on your feed on Instagram, and it's spring vegetables on a chickpea pancake. Yes. First of all, looks so stinking good. Like with the tahini sauce, right? Lemon tahini yeah, sauce. Yeah. Did you roast those radishes? Yeah, that's a thing. Yeah, what is going on here? Talk to me about this. You just shove them in the oven with olive oil or what? I just like quarter them and like you roast them like potatoes. Like I toss them in. Oil, salt, pepper. I really like radishes roasted with za'atar spice and put it on like parchment line sheet, like maybe 20 minutes and they're good. Like they're really yummy. I bet. I bet it cuts some of the, what is it? Like pepperiness, bitterness or something? A little bit. It kind of dulls it. It's just like at a certain point this year, especially in the spring, I kind of get tired of just eating them like sliced on salad raw. Mm-hmm, so, like, mm-hmm. To do a little something different. And like, they just look so pretty too. So yeah. Yeah. That pink man. Come on. Beautiful. <laughs> okay. So also, how did you come up with the name of your blog? It was actually taken from 
I don't know if it's a book or if it's just like a collection of writings by MFK Fisher. Okay. Obviously a very famous food writer. Mm-hmm. She has this piece called An Alphabet for Gourmets. And they, back when Gourmets still had a website, I don't know if they still do, but yeah. anyway, back when their website was kind of, I don't know, more available, they had the entire text of An Alphabet for Gourmets that you could access on their website. And I was just like reading through it very casually. And she mentions under the entry for P, the first mess of peas and how mm. the crop is just so highly anticipated because it's like the first spring kind of thing. Mm, right, right. Out of the ground. And I was like, first mess, that sounds cool. Like that really captures like kind of what I'm about. It's like earthy. It's about like appreciating the seasonality. I was like, I'll go with that. I love that. Yeah, I really like it. It reminds me of asparagus in Europe. Have you ever been over there? Like they're so obsessed with the asparagus when it comes out early spring. And it's like worshipped almost. I mean, every restaurant has like a separate asparagus menu. (laughs) In Germany, like they worship rhubarb. Like spring, like they really like they're just like rhubarb is here. Spring is here. Our lives can begin again. Like (laughs) it's like I just really, I don't know. Like I just thought that passage kind of captured so much of what I feel about fresh food because like when you live in like a northern climate like like mm-hmm. our winter has gone on extra long this year and like I noticed the other day like my chives are up and I was like oh my god I can eat a fresh food again yes yes <laughs> well I grew up in Quebec so I know exactly oh, what you're no. talking about <laughs> no for sure yeah. yeah like March April rolls around right and you're like oh my goodness for the love of God like stop with the rain stop with the cold stop with the snow just like, give when's me. it gonna happen <laughs> yeah when's it gonna happen yeah chomping at the bit okay Laura let's get into some ask everyone questions Okay, what's a great tip you can share with our listeners? Could be about anything. Like just a general cooking tip? Could be cooking or just life, anything. Okay, well, this is like a really recent thing for me, but like before you cook, actually, okay, I'm not going to do a cooking tip. You can give us two. You can give us two. Okay, my life (laughs) tip, my life tip is to try meditating for five minutes every morning, every day. And it will change your life. I use like one of those whatever free meditation apps. It actually really helped me with productivity. Like it just really helps me focus for the day. That's like one tip I wish everyone would just seriously try in their everyday life. And then my cooking tip is like I don't always do this, but now I do because I notice such good results. Like when you're cooking eggplant, when you slice it, put it in a colander and toss it with a huge pinch of salt and just let it sit for 20 minutes, then rinse it, then towel it off, then cook with it. Like the texture is miles and miles away better. It has more really? flavor. You've let like all of that water out, like any of the bitterness, because some people find it bitter. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I would just be lazy and just like slice it and put it on the grill. But now I always salt it. And like people in my circle who are like, I hate eggplants. Like this is a <laughs> vegetable. They love it when I cook it. So I would just say salt it. Okay. Good tip. You know, Ronnie from Primal Gourmet. Okay. He's got like a eggplant he does in a cast iron skillet. And that was the first recipe where I saw that exact same tip. And I was like, I mean, do I have to do this? But you're right. Like, it's amazing. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah. Okay. And it's amazing the liquid that comes out too, the water that comes out in that 15, 20 minutes. It's like, dang. It's so much. I know. 
Okay, if I call you at 9 a.m. on any given day, what are you most likely doing? I'm working. Like, I've been working for, like, two hours at that point. Like, I'm just a early starter kind of person. Like, I like to get up at 5, do my meditation, do my morning routine, everything. And then I usually start working around 7. I just really get into that flow. What's something people would be surprised to know about you? Like an even obsession with food is NBA basketball. Like when you're in my company, that's like all I talk about is what. <laughs> so I, that is surprising. I have this like new project that I'm kind of working on right now, and like everyone's like, "What is it? Is it another food thing?" I'm like, "No, it's not a food thing." And then immediately people are like, "It's a basketball thing, isn't it?" It's not. Gosh, <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, basketball is like my thing we like and it's the playoffs right now so like we're just gearing yeah. so much of our life what's your favorite team it's the toronto raptors like of course, yeah. and then number two i love the portland trailblazers because damien lillard's amazing so yeah big mm. thing how do you like to decompress the meditation is helpful but also just like cooking but like it's cooking in a sense it's like i'm not gonna take an instagram video of this i'm not gonna take a photo of this i'm just gonna like cook something because I want to and I'm just going to enjoy it without a phone nearby. I'm going to have my glass of wine. Like it is cooking for me, like decompressing via cooking and like maybe a couple glasses of wine. I hear you. <laughs> yeah. Who are three people you love to follow on Instagram? Oh, I love Sarah from Sprouted Kitchen. She's always like posting like she lives in Southern California and she always posts like what she's finding at her Southern California Costco. And I'm just like, man, like Ontario needs to catch up. She's getting all this like cool plant-based stuff. So I love following her. I love following, I think her handle is, oh, it's mama eats plants. So she's like a plant-based person. Obviously she lives in California too, actually, but she's a very like positive kind of zero waste advocate. And I just really love the way she cooks. Like she posts a lot of just uh, Instagram story videos of what she's making. And I just really connect with the way she cooks so much. And then the third one, I would say I really like Deliciously Ella and she has like over a million followers. She's so mm. popular. Yes. But I just really admire like how she has built up her business from this place of like total positivity and like she just wants people to like feel more energetic and like eat in a way that's better for the environment like her positivity and encouragement is just so distinctly felt in every arm of her business and I just love following her and seeing what she's doing next do you have a Netflix addiction like not really. Like we have, <laughs> my partner and I have been talking about like canceling Netflix for a while because we have this alternative service in Canada called Crave, which Ooh. has all the HBO shows. It has everything on Showtime. So like Ray Donovan, Billions, all that stuff. The one thing I will like binge watch on like a streaming service is Jesus and Miro. Do you know what I'm talking about? No. Jesus and Miro is like a late night talk show. Oh. And they used to be on Vice, but now they're on Showtime. So I can binge it on this Crave service. And they're on like two nights a week. And it's a lot of just like cultural commentary kind of stuff. But I just find them so funny. And they're on way too late for me. So I'll just like bank up a bunch of episodes <laughs> and like just watch them all in a row. So that's my thing that I always go to on a streaming service. Do you live by a motto? Kind of. Like, I think this is a motto that a lot of people have, but I think if you just like 
work really hard from a place of positivity and respect for all beings, you will succeed in some way. And like, it might not be monetary. You might just succeed in being totally happy or Mm -hmm. in cultivating a very rewarding relationship in your life. Like you're going to experience some degrees of success if you just put your nose down and work and have like a kind reverence for all humanity and living beings. Mm, That's good. That's good stuff right there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And it's not all about, right, like financial success. I mean, there's a lot of other areas that can be defined as greater and richer successes in life. So I like that you said that. That's good. Do you have an all-time favorite beauty product? My favorite beauty product is, I will shout out my favorite brand. It's Sahajan. And this is like a skincare brand in Toronto. And it's like Ayurvedically considered serum and a cream. And I really like her products have changed my skin completely. But like kind of a go-to for me is actually just like rose water mist. Because I learned this recently that like after you wash your face and tone your face, you should like spritz with some kind of hydrazole like rose water. Because even if you have like the most expensive serum in the universe, your skin can't really properly absorb it unless it's like partially damp. So that's interesting. After you dry your face, you got to like spritz a little bit, get that like dewy dampness, then put your serum and your cream on because like your skin's going to be so much more receptive to the good ingredients in those creams if you've properly misted it or like left it a bit wet first. Nice. Is there a food that you absolutely won't eat? Other than like animal-based products. Right, right. There's not a lot. Like, I'm not a big seaweed fan, like, but I will eat it. I'm the same. Like, I really, really want to be. <laughs> I want to love it. And it's so just, good for you. It's so yeah. good for you. But I just like, I know seaweed's kind of a thing for me. And like, I don't really like turnips. I feel awful saying that. Like, I just <laughs> don't really like them. Like, if I see them in a vegetable medley at like a nice restaurant or something, I'm just like, oh, I guess I'll eat these. <laughs> but that's <laughs> not my favorite. Okay, so one last question. What is the greatest life advice you've ever received? Oh, it was from this employer. It's kind of related to my motto, actually. This employer, I was applying for this like serving job at this very fancy hotel. And the woman is like, she was a ridiculous entrepreneur. Like in our local town, people had wrote about her so much. And I was so intimidated by the interview because I didn't really have a lot of experience. She said, she's like, I don't care if you don't have a lot of experience. Like I will teach you everything. But like, you need to really love the service industry to be successful and for me to teach you successfully and like to know that the money will follow. Like you have to start with just being 100% in on this industry before I take you on. Mm, So I I would just say like, make sure you're really, really enjoying what you're doing, I guess. Yeah. And mentally committed to the process of like putting the time in, right? Like, yeah, exactly. I wound up working like two shifts at that restaurant and I was like, this isn't for me. <laughs> <laughs> no way. <laughs> yeah. but, That's you know, funny. 
but she taught me a great lesson. So whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, actually she's, yeah, you followed through. It wasn't for you. So yeah, <laughs> peace. Exactly. <right. laughs> exactly. Okay. Laura, this has been a fantastic conversation. I, I've loved getting to know you. I'm just grateful for your time coming on the podcast today. Tell all the listeners where they can find you online, what your handle is. Yep. So my website is thefirstmess.com. My Instagram handle is thefirstmess. And I'm just, I'm generally at those two places. And you know what? One last question. You said you use one of the apps to meditate. Which one do you use? I like Insight Timer because it's free. The basic functionality of the free version is incredible. You can upgrade it, but Insight Timer the best. Okay. You've, yeah, you've inspired me. I have the Calm app, but I think my longest stretch is like 10 days. And you're right. It's something about the woman's voice on the Calm app. It's like, <laughs> she sounds too calm. Like, it's just like, nobody <laughs> is this chill. Like, like listening to her puts me on edge. Because like, it's I feel me up. like, I'm like, she just sounds like psychotically chill. Like, <laughs> I can't do it. All right, you guys. Okay, thanks so much for being on the show. And we'd love to chat with you again sometime. And good luck with everything. Thank you so much for having me. I loved it. All right, bye-bye. Bye. Okay, Jay, time for a little host-to-host chat. So I mentioned this in the podcast, but my mom recently became vegan. Hey. Uh, is that Sloan? <laughs> That's Sloane. Can hi. you put Sloan on? Yes. Yeah, Give her the mic and say hi, Sloan. Hi. What are you doing there? What are you doing? Um. You're helping mommy work? Uh-huh. Yep. Did this you is your first time on the podcast, so oh. welcome to the Get to Know podcast. Say bonjour. Bonjour. Bonjour, Sloan. Comment ça va? Bonjour. There you go. Do you want to count to ten in French? Uh-huh. Okay, go. Deux. Un. Deux. <laughs> okay, you do it. Wow. Good job, Sloan. <laughs> What'd she say? I don't know. What'd you just say? Five. Five. <laughs> well, this is an unexpected guest. Our host to host chat will be interviewing your daughter, Sloan, who's four years old. Three. Three. Well, three. Yeah. Four three. when this She's... airs, actually. Yeah. Yeah. She'll be turning four. Mm hmm. She's my little sweetie, mini-me. Yeah, she is cute. Okay, anyway, what I was going to say is it's been fun, like, trying to come up with recipes that work for my mom with her new vegan diet. So, Well, tell us, like, your best, the best one. Well, so she was up for a visit last week, which was not actually last week because this is airing later. We made a mushroom ragu over spaghetti squash. It's really delicious. I mean, that sounds delish. I love a good ragu. And then we basically made, like you know, chicken lettuce wraps, but we just took out the chicken and just packed it with extra mushrooms and some crust, like, um, crust, <laughs> crust nuts. What am I thinking of? <laughs> chestnuts? Water, no. Um, oh, water. Chestnut? Yeah. Water chestnuts. Yeah. Water, water chestnuts. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I know. It sounds weird. Are we saying it right? Yeah. Yum. Anyway, it was delicious. And both meals, like, it just made me think like, oh, it's like meatless Mondays and Tuesdays or whatever for me too. So it's good. Well, I'm going to try that ragu that you made. It looks really, really yummy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Drop a bottle of red wine in there and simmer it down, huh? Delicious. We want to thank you for listening today. And if you like the show, we'd love for you to head over to iTunes and give us a positive review. You can find us at wegettoknow.com where you can sign up for our newsletter and on social media at wegettoknow. 
Head over to Instagram. We'd love to hear from you and get your opinions on guest and show ideas. Our music is provided by the talented Blake Atwell of Studio 1916 in Austin, Texas. Until next time, take care as we continue to get to know all of our favorite people. 